Philip Anthony Albertelli. Welcome to episode three of The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. The theme of this week's episode is going to be Concepts of God. But before I get started, I did have one quick little news story to do. It's funny, every week I worry that I won't be able to find a current event story that has to do with religion or atheism, uh, but they just keep on coming. Recently, Pastor Dennis Terry gave a somewhat controversial, somewhat overheated introduction to Rick Santorum at an event, and the clip's been making the rounds, and I'll actually play it for you now. I don't care what the liberals say. I don't care what the naysayers say. This nation was founded as a Christian nation. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. There's only one God. There's only one God, and his name is Jesus. I'm tired of people telling me that I can't say those words. I'm tired of people telling us as Christians that we can't voice our beliefs or we can't no longer pray in public. I'm, listen to me. If you don't lie, love America and you don't like the way we do things, I got one thing to say. Get out! I've got one thing to say. <laughs> With my New England accent, I probably shouldn't be mocking that guy's southern one. But just kidding. Oh, that guy was definitely a little intense, a little fiery. Maybe I should kick up my energy levels like that. Oh, maybe not. But anyway, I think what was maybe the most egregious uh, part of that to me was the insistence, or the idea that if there's something you don't like about your country or if you don't um, completely embrace the religion at large, that you should have to leave. I just think it's dangerous to try to discourage people from voicing their concerns or speaking their minds just because their ideas aren't necessarily in agreement with your own. One of the first places I heard that clip was um, while listening to the Young Turks with Cenk Uger. And um, Cenk actually made some good points. Uh, he brought up something that I think um, fundamentalist uh, religious people in our country tend to try to wash over or sugarcoat. And that's that a number of the founding fathers themselves, they weren't fundamentalist Christians. They're more of what we would call deists. And uh, you might wonder, what the heck is a deist? Um, well, deist is just a term for someone who believes in a god, who believes in a creator, but doesn't necessarily believe that that creator gets involved in human affairs or often intervenes. It's an idea that kind of paints God as a um, kind of clockmaker, making a clockwork universe. He gets everything going and then just kind of steps back and lets whatever's going to happen, happen without really getting his hands dirty. The deist also placed a lot of emphasis on reason. And even though they believed in a creator, a lot of them um, tended to not believe in miracles or divine intervention. In fact, Thomas Jefferson 
create his own version of the Bible known as the Jefferson Bible. And he basically created it by cutting and pasting um, pieces of the New Testament together and basically excising most of everything that had to do with miracles or that he viewed as being superstitious. And you were basically left with the wise sayings of Jesus and things like that. In fact, I believe his version of the nativity uh, actually did away with any mentions of angels or anything of that nature. It's interesting how you never really hear that much about that from religious people. Um, and also Benjamin Franklin, I think most people, most historians would agree was a deist. I think people on both sides of the fight have tried to claim him, uh, even though he, like Jefferson, may have doubted um, miracles and such. He believed that religion, organized religion, was important for the public good, and he did still identify as a Christian, but I don't think he was uh, of the fundamentalist sort. I think the devoutly religious will try to say Franklin was a Christian case closed, and even atheists will try to claim Franklin because of um, his kind of reason-based view of things, his downplaying of the miraculous and supernatural, and because of the nature of some of his quotes. But I think it would have been more safe to call him a deist like Jefferson. I think one reason for the prevalence of deism at the time uh, was probably the advancement of science and reason via the Enlightenment. And at the time, they wouldn't have had uh, knowledge of evolutionary science. So the best guess for how life all got here was probably still God. And yet these men were um, enlightened enough and reason-based enough to question the nature of things like miracles and uh, the more seemingly superstition-based elements of religion. So it kind of makes sense that they would still embrace God, but they would question the elements that seem to be at loggerheads um, with science and reason. I think uh, the deist idea of God probably also helped to explain some of the vagaries of existence. Um, these are people who probably had it a lot rougher than we do, and uh, had to deal with more sickness and disease, no modern medicine. They probably witnessed a lot of early death within their own families. Maybe some of them even witnessed the ravages of war up close. And uh, the idea that God, for some reason, doesn't intervene probably made sense. Well, that story kind of led nicely right into today's theme, um, various concepts of God. And deism would be one example of a personal God, the belief in a personal God. And I think I talked briefly in either episode one or two about the difference between a personal or an impersonal God. And I think that's probably the simplest way to categorize different concepts of God breaking them down into either the personal or impersonal. And uh, a personal God refers to 
the idea of a creator that has human characteristics, um, if not in body, uh, at least um, in mind or personality. For instance, uh, often Yahweh of the Bible is described as being quick to anger, or he can be a god of wrath. He has personal uh, human characteristics. He possesses sentience and awareness. He consciously decided to bring the universe into being. The flip side of that coin would be the impersonal God, that kind of cosmic oneness that we find in Eastern religions like Buddhism. And even though um, in the mother religion of Buddhism, Hinduism, we have a plethora of gods, um, but even in there, there's a suggestion of some kind of underlying universal cosmic force. Uh, I kind of like to think of it as like the force in Star Wars, which I think was at least partially influenced by the um, idea of an impersonal god that we find in Zen Buddhism and different forms of Eastern religion and philosophy. If you think about the force in Star Wars, it doesn't have a personality. It doesn't have a personal identity. It's just this overflowing, all-pervasive oneness that everything comes out of, returns to, and that you can commune with. I should also mention that the idea of God as cosmic oneness, as... Um, being identical with the ground of all being is also sometimes found in Christian mysticism. I remember watching a debate between Christopher Hitchens and Rabbi Shmuley Bateach. And uh, I just love to say Shmuley. But anyway, the moderator was also a rabbi. And I remember one point when they were kind of dueling back and forth about the existence of God and the moderator the rabbi mentioned seemed kind of worn out and exasperated like someone that was getting tired of trying to control two unruly children and he said something I thought was um, pretty ingenious and helps to kind of share through some of the BS that uh, comes up uh, when we argue about whether or not there's a God and he said, and I'm paraphrasing, that before we argue or debate whether or not there's a God, we should first establish what do we mean by God. And he basically went on to say, do you mean an old man with a long white beard? Um, you know, that maybe you'd find in Renaissance artwork or in a New Yorker cartoon, or are you speaking... Uh, metaphorically of some kind of higher truth or some all-pervasive uh, yet egoless power or force. I do want to just get off topic for one second. I made a mental note earlier that I want to elaborate on who Christopher Hitchens was. I think so far I've mentioned him in every episode. And if a lot of you found this podcast because you were attracted to the subject matter, then you probably already know who Christopher Hitchens is. 
But for those of you who don't, I guess he's probably someone that the religious right maybe thought of as a kind of arch fiend or boogeyman and that we non-believers kind of view as um, a grand intellectual, uh, a hero, um, kind of a standard bearer. He was a uh, famous writer for Vanity Fair and he, although I think he was a long-standing atheist, he didn't really start speaking um, openly and aggressively about uh, atheism until uh, I believe it was after 9-11. And I think, uh, if I remember correctly, his reasoning for that was that he thought 9-11 was a example of just how horrific an impact uh, religion can have in the worst case scenario. And so he thought his was his duty to try to promote reason and separate uh, superstition and uh, from science and, and hopefully help to overcome a fundamentalist religion of the most dangerous sort possible. And uh, I, I personally, I'm not one of those atheists that's overly concerned about um, the social ills that might be caused by re religion. I think my objectives are a little bit more selfish. Uh, I'm just kind of interested in finding out the truth of things uh, for myself. It's kind of a itch that needs to be scratched. But Christopher Hitchens definitely was a hero of mine, still is in a number of ways. Um, as someone myself who likes to do a lot of uh, creative writing and likes to express my own beliefs and views on things, I admired him greatly just as a, a writer and a intellectual. And of course, I also admired him for his views on religion because they uh, spoke to me. They um, seemed to mirror my own in a lot of ways. And I also, uh, I just loved his wit, his attitude. And a lot of people may have found him abrasive, uh, but I think he was the type of guy, the more you, you watched him, the more you listened to him, you, you realize just how... Um, how good a person he was, and how moral he was. And that might sound like a shock to some religious folk. But I think part of the reason why he personally didn't believe in God is because certain things, either about religion or about the status quo of existence, just offended his um, moral sensibility so much that he, he couldn't believe the idea of a, a, a good God, um, a personal God in make sense to him. I think he was uh, a very moral guy. And I think the more that you listen to him, the more you saw beyond what people mistook for arrogance or an acerbic demeanor. And you saw a guy who was very passionate, very sincere, and uh, cared a lot about what he was doing. One thing that I personally always used to love is 
when Christopher Hitchens would be introduced on a TV show or in a debate, and often the moderator would be a um, devoutly religious person, and they would have to introduce him as the author of God is Not Great. And whenever they had to say the title of that book, it was if they were on the verge of rending their garments. And I always got a, a kick out of that. A little cringe-inducing, but it was funny. We lost Christopher Hitchens late 2011 due to a long battle, um, fairly long battle, with esophageal cancer. And I'm proud to say that, to my knowledge, there's never any recanting of his atheism, no deathbed confession. Hey everyone, it's me from 10 years in the future. I probably meant deathbed conversion. Uh, so he was a man of conviction till the end. So way to go, Hitch, and uh, life well lived. Now back to the topic at hand. So it can get pretty confusing trying to sort out all the different concepts of God. That's why I like to simplify them, as I said, by putting them into the two categories of either personal or impersonal. And even once, let's say you get into one side of the column, if you're looking at a personal God, there's so many possible, possible permutations. Um, if there is a personal God, is he quick to anger? Um, like the God of the Old Testament, is he a God of you're okay, I'm okay, uh, sunshine and rainbows, all love type of thing that a, a lot of us tend to, like, uh, understandably like to imagine God as. I, I imagine if you're going to believe in God, um, you'd probably want to imagine that he's a, a nice guy and he's kind of those hidden hands that are always supporting you and watching out for you. And he's the embodiment of um, love and enlightenment. But is that the case? It seems even the Bible itself is conflicted about that, or at least um, modern Christians are kind of conflicted about that. There's that, it seems like there's a kind of uh, fractured, almost schizophrenic view of God in, in um, among Christians, at least, if not all the Abrahamic faiths. On the one hand, uh, they do tend to think of him as a god of peace and love, but at the same time, they also want to insist that he's simultaneously the god of the Old Testament, who is admittedly a much more blood-soaked kind of figure than the more... Um, pacifistic Jesus of the New Testament, who is more concerned with social issues, how we treat one another, how we treat the least of those. The one book of the New Testament that does get kind of gory is, of course, the book of Revelation, uh, which has all those kind of lurid, phantasmagoric images of beasts and monsters and the end of days. Um, but a kind of curious fact about the book of Revelation is and I should remind people in well whether we're talking about the Old Testament or the New Testament, we're not talking about one unified book that tumbled down from the heavens. We're talking about um, man-made works that were cobbled together from a variety of books and writings, and um, the 
book of Revelation was almost not included in the New Testament. Supposedly what happened is there was a bit of mistaken identity. It was thought that the Apostle John had written the book of Revelation. It turns out it was written by this kind of reclusive hermit living in exile named John of Padmos. And uh, even in the ancient world and um, early Christianity, there was uh, a bit of debate or, over whether or not it merited being included in the New Testament. It's funny, though, you can still find um, some people who seem to enjoy embracing that idea of God as a kind of bloody and vengeful figure. Uh, perhaps the most lurid and repulsive example would be um, the Southboro Baptist Church. You've probably heard of them in the news. They're those uh, despicable people, and I usually don't. I usually don't uh, name call or try to label people, but for people like this, I, th I think you have to. You've probably seen the news stories of the people joyfully holding up signs that say, God hates fags or thank God for dead soldiers and stuff like that. These are these people that really seem to um, revel in the idea of this kind of fire-breathing God of the Old Testament and the um, they're kind of licking their lips for um, the end of days so they can watch everyone else who didn't agree with them fry. And I think sometimes there's even a little bit of that with your um, garden variety Christians, a little bit of that German schadenfreude, that term that means taking joy in other people's suffering. One of the things they enjoy about being Christian is... Uh, the idea of imagining um, the people who aren't as pious as they are kind of burning uh, below and watching it from up above. I'm definitely not saying all Christians are that way. I'd say the majority are basically decent people. But uh, maybe that's an example of um, the dark side that a, a lot of people carry around with them or just an example of the more uh, fundamentalist variety. I alluded earlier how um, sometimes you can find that uh, less personal example of God, um, that more almost Eastern or mystical view of God as a kind of impersonal spiritual force in Christianity as well. And I think uh, often you find that in Judaism too. I think with Judaism, even though it's the mother religion of Christianity, uh, it doesn't seem to put as much emphasis on the hope for eternal life or uh, put as much emphasis on the idea of a personal God. I know, even though I'm not a believer, I think one of the most beautiful metaphors I've ever heard uh for the nature of God and uh, what happens to the soul after death is this idea in Judaism that we're all little flames that upon death return back to the big flame that is God. And in that thinking, you can see almost that Eastern idea of uh, the oneness of everything. And instead of placing emphasis on um, 
the ego or the hope for the eternal self. There's this idea that we come from one and go back to one. I think one of the reasons why I'm a non-believer is as fascinating as all these different concepts of God are. Just the fact that there are so many concepts and that combined with the apparent man-made nature of religion and religious scripture, um, idea that there's so many possible permutations of different ideas of God just kind of goes to show that I think so much of it is guesswork and groping in the dark. None of us really know what the truth is. And as I said in the inaugural episode, uh, any decent atheist won't claim to know 100% that there is no God, but they just kind of fall the evidence or dearth of evidence. And I think you know, all these different concepts of God, all these this evidence for the man-made uh, nature of belief. Me from the future again, I probably meant the man-made nature of religion. That's my guess anyway. Just shows that none of us really have the answers. Um, and although I can't prove there isn't a creator, I think it is possible to take different concepts of God and break those down one at a time, put them to the test, and see how much sense they make. I could, for example, go on a long rant about how some of the nastier aspects of life, the brutality of the food chain, etc., um, kind of clash with the idea of a benign creator, a personal god of that sort. But I don't want to bum you out this close to the end of the show, so I'll save that for another time. And... This has been the third episode, so thanks for listening to The Week in Doubt, and I'll see you next time.